NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Whew. Christmas is finally behind us, but are you dreading those credit card bills headed your way? Well, here's a pro tip. Don't get stuck making minimum payments in the new year. Savewithconrad.com can help you get rid of your credit card debt just like that. Oh, and we're going to get you the best deal on a mortgage you've ever had. But how's this for starters? No payments until March. You don't need money out of your pocket or perfect credit. So find out how much money you can save for free right now at savewithconrad.com. Give the ultimate gift to the wrestling fan in your life this holiday season you've asked for it and i can't believe this is real but now you can give the gift of ad-free shows head over to adfreegift.com now to purchase an ad-free show subscription for a friend or loved one simply click on gift a subscription up at the top and choose a plan plug in their email address and just like that your gift is on its way to their inbox in my opinion you simply will not find a better value in wrestling this holiday season early ad-free access to all seven of my podcasts plus video starting at just $9 a month. We've also got tons of exclusive bonus content on top of it for just 29 bucks. So what are you waiting for? Get over with that special someone in your life by giving the gift of ad-free shows. Visit adfreegift.com right now to get started. That's adfreegift.com. Your one-stop shop for the wrestling fan in your life this holiday season is adfreegift.com. 2022 is upon us, and Conrad Thompson's team is hitting the road Royal Rumble weekend. Join us at the historic South Broadway Athletic Club in St. Louis Saturday, January 29th for our first ever Hall of Fame Super Show. As my world's Jeff Jarrett and 83 Weeks Eric Bischoff bring you stories you won't hear anywhere else. Tickets for the Hall of Fame Super Show start at $39.99, and if you really want to get granular, you can purchase a VIP pass for an exclusive meet and greet, merch, and much more. For full event information, head over to ericandjefflive.com or jeffandericlive.com. Get even more from the hottest new podcast going, My World, with Jeff Jarrett over at adfreeshows.com. Let me get granular here for a minute, folks. Not only can you get the entire My World episode library with zero ads, new episodes come your way each week early, ad-free, and on video starting at just 9 bucks a month. We've also got tons of exclusive My World bonus content waiting for you, plus unique interactive experiences with your old pal, Double J. You get to jump on and ask Jeff questions, and if you joined us in Chicago this year for Top Guy Weekend, you got to hang out the entire weekend. Just recently, we sat down with Robbie the Highlander to clear the air on what really happened that night at the TNA taping in Orlando. We also had Jeff join fellow WWE Hall of Famer and ad-free partner Eric Bischoff to watch Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson's very first match, and even talked with Tony Falk about breaking into the wrestling business. And how about this? There's only one place to get all this exclusive content and experiences, and that's by strutting over to adfreeshows.com right now where you get my world and all of my podcasts early and ad free on video for as low as $9 a month. That's just 30 cents an episode, 100% the best value in all of wrestling. Strut on over to adfreeshows.com right now to sign up. Flat nut. Flat nut. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson and you're listening to my world. And of course we couldn't do it without the king of the mountain. The Hall of Famer, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Conrad Thompson. We are we're at that time of year. Ho ho ho. Santa Claus time, Christmas time, holiday time. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh I hate to say it, but uh we chatted a little bit before, but uh 
kind of no pressure. And I, I guess I probably put pressure on myself and you just look at me like you damn idiot. Just, just step up to the mic, tell stories and recount, but I always want to, um, I enjoy this, but I want to do my best. If somebody's going to invest three hours listening to your non-horseman ass, I want them to be entertained. Uh, but no, uh, this is going to be fun. Ask Jeff anything. So I scrolled through the questions briefly. Didn't try to overthink it, but uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, Conrad. Are you ready for uh, Santa Claus yet? Well, Santa Claus already happened uh, this past week. And uh, boy, I sure did have fun at Christmas. And I'm sure you guys had a great Christmas too, since... This is airing on the 28th, right? Christmas already happened, right, Jeff? Well, I've already tweeted next episode. Jesus, what is wrong with me? See, that's what happens when I turn my brain off, Conrad. See? Well, uh, of course, our next big event is uh, New Year's Eve. It's going to be this Friday night. And if you're thinking what I'm thinking, we're going to be watching some, some, some football. I know there'll be wrestling on. I know that there'll be a SmackDown. I know that there will be a Rampage. But there's also college football and you fancy yourself a half-assed handicapper. What's your, what's your, uh, prediction over there? Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, Cincy. So we can go back. Gosh. So Russell Cade was Thanksgiving weekend. So then the week, well, you know what? I'm going to go all the way back to, uh, and I've said it over and over and over when the field goal went through the uprights down in college station and Alabama went down. It was the worst thing to happen to the rest of the country. I said it that weekend, and we've we've got some proof in that, like a lot of proof I have with uh, Flair tweeting about me strutting with him as a fellow horseman. We don't need to go down that road again. (laughs) But no, so back to football. Uh, Michigan rolls Georgia. Wow. I know that that's uh, that's one, and I've uh, I've done some. Uh, you call I'm fancy myself. Other people uh, would like to say that I'm a little bit more than fancy myself uh, a a a a picker, uh, so to speak. Uh, but no, I really think all can decide. Georgia, if the coaches like Harbaugh who didn't get there being dumbasses, they're going to watch that tape and see the chinks in the armor and Harbaugh is going to come with a game plan and those college kids. I just think there's always a really, 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 um, I, I just think when you take off Conrad three weeks yeah, and Georgia has three weeks to think about that loss and Harbaugh has three weeks to prepare and they're going to break down this and break down that it, it's, um, you look and I'm an sec guy. But I think my uh, my buddy Scott Steiner is amazing blue. I think the Michigan Michigan folks came on really strong at the end of the year, and uh, I think they're going to roll over Georgia. And of course, you know where I'm going. I've already sort of let the cat out of the bag. Cincinnati's going to go. Oh, oh, so this is real college football. I had no idea what we were doing the previous ten twelve games. I think Alabama is going to just boat race them, and then in the final. It's going to be a good game, but I just think the athleticism of Bryce and uh, both sides of the ball, you know, you hear one pundit say, oh, Alabama's defensive line isn't what it should do. And I mean, all this total BS, 
week in, week out in the SEC, Alabama persevered. And I just think the the athleticism of, of the Crimson Tide, and now you have those incoming freshmen that are really sophomores now, because when you play 12, 13 games in the SEC, I mean, that's uh, – you talk about on-the-job training. And so, um, roll tide all the way. It's going to be a good one. That And the rating for Alabama-Michigan. Would be bananas. Yeah. It's going to be off the charts. I don't think it's going to happen though. I think it's going to be Alabama, Georgia. I'm going the other way. I think Georgia beats Michigan. I think they're going to use those three weeks to uh, get their head, right. Wrap their head Mm. around that, Mm. that Alabama loss didn't really matter. We're still in it. And I think they're going to bring their a game for Bama and we're going to have a real battles. So that's what I think. But I also think that we should talk about the feedback we got. I got, you're not slipping out of this, Mr. Non-committal. Oh, we're going to have a real battle. What's that saying? Like it's partly cloudy. You can be partly sunny too. It's which one are we saying? Conrad in the finals, Georgia, Bama, uh, Alabama's going to win, but Georgia didn't even really put up a fight in the sec championship. It was pretty lopsided. I mean, when you've got a quarterback throwing for 500 yards on your ass, like did you even show up? I thought this was the number one rated defense. This is the best defense ever. And, uh, well, Bryce young couldn't tell, and he won the Heisman that night with his performance. So if you think Georgia's not coming into Michigan with a chip on their shoulder, I think Georgia's going to steamroll them. And it's really, really hard to beat the same team twice Agreed. in the same season. So it would not surprise me if Georgia, you know, wins it with a last minute thriller. Uh, and I would be totally fine with that. I'm not your typical Alabama fan. I realize we've been blessed beyond belief. We're playing with house money. If we never win another national championship, I'm okay (laughs) with it. Like, oh, that'll preach for sure. I mean, golly, how how spoiled would I be to say we need another one? No, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. That, but I just being a realist, I don't see how anybody stops Bryce young, but maybe that's the attitude that Cincinnati's hoping we have. And they pull off the upset of a lifetime. I mean, that would be like Buster Douglas, Mike Tyson. Would it not Cincinnati beating Alabama? Jesus. It'd be like Brooklyn, Brooklyn brawler, Brooklyn brawler slipping over one on the Hawkster. Yeah. It's just not supposed to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we need to have as a podcast on best journeyman, best, uh, enhancement talent, best. Have you done that with any of those? I haven't, speaking? I haven't. Yeah, that'd be a good little, maybe on a ask, uh, you know, ask your host, anything, those kind of deals. There's a, uh, some fascinating stories back in the day when you hear of truly not job guys, not enhancement talent, but sort of the journeyman guys that in the seventies that, you know, never worked on top, but worked everywhere and made a good living. And there's some fascinating stories. Anyway, I already went down a rabbit hole. We got a lot of fascinating stories out last week. We, uh, have done a couple of old school episodes back to back. We talked about super clash, which was an interesting idea, but it just didn't exactly go as planned. And then of course, last week we talked about, uh, your dad buying into the Von Eric territory and we sort of tongue in cheek named it. Daddy buys Dallas. Of course, that's just part one of the story. There's a lot more to that because we only got through the acquisition, but man, uh, I saw a ton of folks who had no idea of that story and even more folks who grew up and lived it and were happy that someone was talking about it. That era of professional wrestling just doesn't get talked about very much, especially when it's not the Jim Crockett side, not the WWF side, but literally everything else. It's almost like it's not covered in the quote unquote mainstream. And 
I saw a lot of positive feedback about that. What was the feedback you got? A ton, you know, both episodes, it was in that transition area era and I'm, um, luck, lucky enough to have lived through it. Like obviously hindsight's 2020 and look, me and Kevin Von Eric have had many, many good discussions since then. But when you sort of look back on that entire ordeal and the acquisition and just how candidly they came to us multiple times. And I say us, they really came to my father. They didn't come to Lawler. They didn't, damn sure didn't come to me. Came to my father. Hey, will you help us? And he wasn't really engaged until he lifted the hood up and looked at channel 11 and looked at the syndication package and looked at the sportatorium and the business model and what can and can't be done and all that. It was a, um, in a time, again, this territory was down. The Tennessee territory was down. Uh, just so many things of, you know, when you put it in perspective, you go back, we're in uh, December of 2021. So if you go back two years of uh, December of 19, uh, that's not that long ago. So same thing. When you look at just two or three years removed from, you know, 1985, this territory was Rocket and rolling. So that transition of when the territories went down, Kansas City, Vern and, you know, AWA and WCCW and even Jim Crockett and Watts and all that, they weren't that far removed from their glory years. But the tide had completely turned and Vince had his vision and went cable TV. And both of those episodes really, we got, <clears throat> pardon the pun, got granular on that story. And to me, that's something that is so applicable today that we are we are well into the transition from cable TV to the streaming world and the streaming world to to monetize it. It's just a different. It's a uh, a, a cable contract today or a network TV contract today is fantastic, but I can tell you, Vince is already thinking the next step and the next step and the next step. That, 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 uh, it, it's rapidly changing. So live event. And I think it's, you know, Fox uh, Corp is, you can, you can just see their blueprint sporting events and news. They're really getting out of the, the, the business of scripted and, 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 and those high dollar dramas, so to speak, that's where Netflix and Amazon and Apple and all that. So, uh, it was fun to take a walk down memory lane on both episodes and man, I've gotten fantastic feedback and, and, uh, shout out to, to Marcus, uh, social media team. When he put that collage together of all the hall of famers or legends just on that one show and Conrad, if, if, if you were a fan that started in, let's just say 2000. So that's over 20 years ago. If you better fan of 20 years and you all of a sudden showed that card and say Chicago, Hot market, AEW hot market, WWE hot market. I mean, Chicago is a huge top five market in the country. What would that card draw in uh, 88? No, I don't think anybody would say, oh, 1,500 fans. Right. <laughs> I just don't think we would yeah. because it was loaded and you had stars from three different territories and and mega stars when you talk Lawler and Kerry Von Eric. Interesting. And really? the, uh, there's so many layers to that, including it being on a Tuesday, go listen to it in the archives. It's an <laughs> unbelievable story. You don't want to miss it. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. 
Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill someone. Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever drive sober or get pulled over. Uh, by the way, perhaps the best way to introduce someone to our podcast, I think is through our YouTube. Don't you, don't you agree? I do. And the, the thing that we, uh, we're doing over the last couple of weeks, that gifting of ad free, the 10 day free trial. Yeah. That is, I mean, yes, YouTube's great because you get a sample here and you can go to all of our channels and get a two minute video or a five minute video or the full episode. Those are all great. Uh, our social media has a good taste on it. I know me and Eric Bischoff dive in week in, week out, sometimes day in, day out on that. And you really get a, a sample of it. Uh, but, uh, the ad free deal, and this ain't a plug. It's just very, very, I mean, mailbag and happy hour and ask anything and zoom calls and all of that, uh, is Conrad, you're steering the ship on this, but it's the, by far the best value in wrestling. Well, I appreciate you saying that, uh, check it out. If you haven't already, uh, now we do have gift packages and, and all that jazz. It's over at adfreeshows.com. Let's jump into it, man. The name of our show today. And I can't believe this is happening. This is our last show of the year, Jeff. Uh, we'll, we'll have some words about that. I'm sure at the end of the day, but, uh, Tyler is up first. He says, you've done everything and been a part of every aspect of the wrestling business. What part of it did you, or do you enjoy the most and what part is the part you hated the most? Gosh, at the end of the day, what do I enjoy the most? Um, so when you look back over the entire career, there's nothing like stepping between the ropes. It just, and, and lacing up the boots and going out with an opponent that, that, um, you know, for me, going out there with an opponent that I don't want to say challenge, but yes, from a mental aspect and an effort, we're going to go out here and we're going to tear the house down. And sometimes it may not be pretty and sometimes it, it may be. But at the end of the day, we want to engage them in emotion. I saw one of the questions coming up. We'll get to it about little different things. But just engaging the audience, there's nothing quite like it. Um you know, a lead singer will talk about getting on stage and, and performing two and a half hours or, you know, any athlete, but, but getting, uh, lacing up the boots is, is probably what I enjoyed the absolute most, of course, the business side of things, but it's just sort of on a different level. Uh, then there's a lot of highs in, in, uh, business accomplishments, but if you're asking me the most, it's gotta be, um, tearing the house down with a good match. Least favorite part. Hmm. Oh boy. All right. How do I say this? I, this just popped in my brain because uh, I was, I've toyed around with a couple of things, but I'm going to change directions. Probably Conrad and maybe, um, you may, I may need a little help from me on this, but, uh, to, to pull out different points, 
in, in a way, dealing with talent who I've been around the block a few times and watch my dad and watch Lawler and watch Vince and watch others deal with talent. But when you're dealing with the talent who they might as well have tattooed on their forehead, I am selfish and I'm going to let you know that, but I'm smart enough. You don't really know I'm being selfish. That just crawls all over me. It's just like, dude, do you not understand what business we're in? This is entertainment. It's it, it truly isn't a real competition. If you want to do that, go to the Olympics or go wherever else, but the, the selfish self-centeredness of, uh, of talent when candidly they are just, they're not ready for that role or that position. I don't mind a, a, a top guy saying, Hey brother, let's try to do it this way. Then you go, okay. But a guy who doesn't really have his stripes, that, that's, that is not a fun part of the business. Cause there's so much bandwidth you got to spend. And a lot of times you get frustrated and say, okay, you don't like it. Leave one of those deals. That's not fun to do, but sometimes you got to do it. Yep. Yes, you do. <laughs> What's that kind of response? <laughs> well, just, you know, I did Starcast and I met, I don't know, hundreds of different egos and personalities in wrestling. Yes. And so you deal with a guy on the phone and you would think, boy, this guy must think he's going to sell 500 meet and greets. I mean, the way he's handling himself and others and everybody around him and you know, he's the squeaky wheel. He gets a bunch of grease and then he sells 17 meet and greets. And you're like, boy, I don't know where this inflated self worth comes from, but it's a hard way to live life. And you know what? It, and I used to, to, to think literally over in here and my father talking with Lawler, like, man, my dad's, he's a real God. What a grump. What a, what an old timer. But when he's done it a couple of thousand times or, or Vince, or j- j- once you sort of go down that road and you realize I have to make the decision today, am I going to spend an hour of TV time production, production to getting this guy or, or do I just really cut bait? I don't want to go down that road. It's not no hard feelings. It's just not worth the conversation. And and that can be perceived as, oh, what an asshole, but no, it, it's really making good business. It, it, yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent business. And yeah, you have to do that in the mortgage world too, where, you know, sure. you, you want to help these folks and you, and you wish you could, but ultimately they don't qualify. And if they don't qualify, why are we going to spend six months on it to tell them the same thing? Hey, you don't qualify. Let's just rip the bandaid off. I'm a big believer in, I'm not going to give you a slow. No, I can't do it. I'm going to tell you right away. No, yeah, no and, slow. nos. Well, and shoot, I've heard Vince say, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. I, I I'm doing these guys a favor by moving on. Yeah. They can get on with their life. That took me a while as a young, young man to really digest. Oh man. My dad gave this guy a notice. I think he could book him two or three days a week. Well, no, that means he's not working three or four days a week, which means he's creating dissension in the dressing room, which means first and foremost, it's prohibiting him from going out and finding full-time work. And it's prohibiting your dad from filling that spot with someone he has confidence in. Yeah. So Christopher says, uh, (laughs) uh, Christopher says, were there any matches you went into thinking maybe it would be kind of difficult or tough to pull off, but it came out great. 
Also on the flip side, were there any matches you were super hyped about, but then it just didn't meet your expectations. When my father pitched the moon dog angle and story and all that, I was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> it, it was a, it. So it's back in the territory days. Um, I was just trying to think there's so many different instances that I would like, man, this is going to be a challenge. Um, but th- that came up, uh, in my brain that I wasn't the biggest fan of, okay. So they're really, you know, it's going to be a brawl from the very beginning. And my dad said, yes, you'll understand working with Larry Latham. There's no need to go wrestle. Uh, and I could probably give three or four instances like that, that when you've got to go out and work a guy's style from the very get go, and you can't really have, you, you got to have their match a hundred percent. Sometimes I would like, Oh boy, but I would soon find out, okay, go into it with the mindset. And then you grab the people's attention right away. Um, so that's that. And then the second part of that is high expectations for a match that didn't quite pan out. Mm. Early days in TNA, um, Kurt Henning, I really thought we were going to have a barn burner on a Tuesday night, uh, I mean, a Wednesday night episode. And um, I I was personally let down that I let Kurt down. I I really thought we had all this together, and it just, the match was not good. And I'll take my part of the blame. Kurt Kurt didn't want to work either. He he did not come to work. Yeah, Kurt... um... After the back injury, Kurt wasn't quite the same. I think his at, sort of ma- all. his masterpiece performance was SummerSlam 91. In my opinion, him and Brett and Madison square garden. And then after that, don't get me wrong. He had some good matches, but I think that was probably his last great match. I could be wrong. And I'm sure people will point it out to me, but for my money, that's the last time I remember thinking, man, he might be the best wrestler in the world. 1988 Kurt. I was just two, three years in the business. He led me through a couple of matches, but one in Memphis that I was like, oh my God, that was, it just felt because the people were, and it was all Kurt. Trust me. It was all Kurt. And fast forward, you know, 15 years later in, in Nashville and that when the asylum was rocking, it was rocking and Kurt came and I thought, okay, now I'm 13, 14 years in the game. I'm certainly going to hold up my end and it, it just, it, it never got the match never got off the ground and you're probably right. Part part of that too, though, it it certainly is injury and and certainly is age, but there's probably also a mentality, right? Like we hear in in the boxing game, guys talk about being hungry and when you're hungry, man, you're Mm -hmm. just training 24 seven. You're obsessed with success. You're trying to make it, you know, and you might even be living hand to mouth as you're trying to work your way up the cards. But then once you're the the biggest, most successful boxer in the world. And everybody's celebrating and lining up to hang out with you and throwing opportunities and, you know, just the trappings of success. Maybe you're not nearly as hungry. And especially when you compare those two timelines, you did, it feels like one is Kurt on his way up and the other is maybe Kurt on his way down. Like I'm trying to get to the peak of the mountain of my career. And the other one is, Hey man, just trying to pay bills. Thanks for the opportunity. Glad to be here. Exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh Todd says, uh, where does Colorado fall in your mind as a wrestling state? Was it a noted spot in the territory era? WCW made a lot of stops in Colorado where WWE only does one yearly stop. If we're lucky, why do you think the difference? 
Territory Days, to my knowledge, it was, you know, it wasn't in the California run. It was, uh, I think they worked it out of the uh, Amarillo Territory, getting up into Colorado, but uh, few and far between. Uh, yes, at WWF and WCW, that was a stop. I always remember um, <laughs> me, and we had had sort of a late night in uh, California the night before. And, um, it was one of those tag runs or something, but me and, uh, diesel, Kevin Nash, big, sexy, um, it, Denver, literally the mile high city. I mean, we were so winded, uh, but, but Colorado geographically, um, it's just from a, by car it, you know, Colorado, we always would re- work Denver and Colorado, uh, Springs. It, it just not in that territory geographically, not a lot of people in that state. Uh, so, uh, a little bit hard to get to, uh, but you know, the crowds, there were always awesome. Here's one talk about inside baseball. Rajiv wants to know what's the overarching goal of capital city baseball and what's the realistic time frame to achieve it. Also, have you always wanted to be a part of a baseball franchise? Interesting. The, the simplicity of it is they ha- we, I almost said they, but th- 30 home games. And so I look at it from my perspective and my role in Capital City Baseball is from the promotional aspect. No, nothing to do with uh, the on-field players and, and, and you know, uh, I'm outside of balls and strikes and hits and uh, home runs and all that. Um, the overarching goal is to put on a, you know, a very entertaining night from the concessions and unique concessions to on-field entertainment. We're going to bring concerts to the city. We're going to bring, but we want to embrace Springfield, Illinois, the community and the surrounding areas with a baseball team. That's their own. And Jamie, uh, two of my partner, his mindset, uh, we're aligned quite a bit and I'm following his lead in, in, in so many things, but his mindset is, you know, they're, they're, right now we're in the discussions. Are we going to rename the team? And Jamie is not one of these guys that goes, yes, we're renaming the team. Or no, we're not. He's like, we're going to find out. We're going to find out if the committee wants to rename it. So I'm pumped by his enthusiasm uh, and engagement. So the overarching goal is to, and I think it's unrealistic year one, to have 30 sellouts. Uh, but we want to be a profitable uh, and I say there's two, two, two pathways to profitability. One from a financial perspective, selling tickets, selling merch, selling concession stands. And then the second one was, is, um, we want our players to get drafted to the majors to, to a, you know, we, we are a, um, in, in simplicity terms, college players in the summer will come play on the prospect league teams. And we're in the prospect league when they graduate college and they chose the route to get an education, their goal is to get drafted um, into the minor leagues. That's what we want. Every player that comes in place for us is to get drafted. So, uh, that's it. And then, uh, the third part of that question was, um, did I ever expect to be a minor league owner? <laughs> Not in my wildest dreams. Uh, I will say this. I've been around minor league baseball for a lot of years. And next year we've, uh, look at a different couple of promotions called podcast at the place, basically a live event at these minor league stadiums. Any minor league listeners out there, uh, got a, if you're a fan or an ownership, reach out to us, but I didn't, but what has always fascinated me about minor league baseball is 
they don't control the players who's on the team. That's all the major league teams. They're in and out and they bring guys up, bring guys down. So, you know, the team is a little bit difficult to, to, um, you're rooting for the brand, but you're also, you know, the, these minor league, uh, owners and, and GMs and everything that goes with it, they're promoters at heart. They are, and as you know, a promoter is near and dear to my heart. So their, their responsibility, their job is to, uh, folks come out, they're going to spend their hard earned money at the ballpark, entertain them. And, and so that's why I've always had a enormous amount of respect for these teams. And so, uh, in a lot of ways, it's a, a dream come true to be a part of ownership. Today's episode is brought to you by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you know, what's easy bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to Geico.com, get a quote and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Michael McClanahan says, uh, Jeff talked about on a recent episode, the culture of the wrestling locker room. Uh, what lessons did Jeff learn in his career that influenced the culture Jeff tried to build in the TNA locker room? That's a good question. It, well, yeah, and I could really, uh, man, I, I could, I won't, I will not be too long winded, uh, cause that ain't what this show's about, but culture, I think is the number one thing that we had going from us from 2002 to 2009 is that look, was it a perfect family? No, it, it's not. And, and matter of fact, if there's a bunch of kumbaya, Oh, everybody's great. And we love everybody. And this is all about, you know, uh, huggy, kissy, feely that just, that don't make money. So, so I think the culture has to be a respectful competitiveness. I want guys. And I think it's a little bit unrealistic, but I'm going to say this, for example, I want everybody that comes to work to want to work on top to want to be in the main event, to want to be a tag champ or a single champ or an X division champ or a ladies champ. I want everybody to be striving to coming up to come into work to do their very best. Now you have to be respectful and, and understand a lot of times today's not your day, honey or dude <laughs> today is you, you are, you are not Al Pacino today. You, you are not Tom Brady. I hate to disappoint you, but we have to have, Lead actors, we have to have supporting actors, we have to have cameos, we have to have whatever it may be on the sporting deal. Uh, you know, to give a sports analogy, I always like to say you got to have your superstar players, then you got to have your role players, then you got to have your practice players, then you got to have just a little bit of everything in and out, but you also have to have those legends who drop in and out to teach the younger guys. You got to have the right mix. And when you have the right mix, the culture sets itself. You know, people will often, um, and, and rightly so, give Undertaker a lot of credit for being that locker room leader. And uh, I could not agree more because Mark worked his ass off every night. And when you think about the run he had from uh, the Hulkamania area through the Attitude Era, I mean, just all the way up, he earned his stripes by respect along the way. And when you have a guy at the top set the right culture, so many things fall into place. And so culture, um, and that, that goes for office that goes for production. If you've got the right executive producer in the truck, 
everything else falls into place. If you've got the right couple of main event guys, everything falls into place. Um, and it's a lot of times self-correcting. Um, but, uh, so, so culture is, 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 is all set by leadership and, uh, you know, looking back on my career, when you have a bad apple, it's hanging on to that bad apple too long. That really hurts the culture. And if you let it go too long, it's, uh, nothing's irreversible, but you have to do a lot of, uh, a lot of patchwork, a lot of repair work that's unnecessary had you not just cut bait. Uh, Mr. Wagner wants to know who came up with the idea of Elevation X, basically a scaffold match. Didn't you see they didn't work in WCW? Ultimate X was cool though. What do you think of the old, the Elevation X? You know, I think it's uh, subjective when you say it worked or it didn't work. The one thing that, and I could remember, in this house that I'm sitting in right now, but it was downstairs, you know, we back to the business model and, you know, looking back on it, we had to come up with something special. Uh, and so did WWE, uh, and our buddy at 83 weeks kickstarted the <laughs> monthly pay-per-views. But when you got into the monthly pay-per-views, we never, um, uh, had elevation X as the main event selling port. Was it a strong, strong support? um, gimmick match or whatever it may be. Um, yes, but it wasn't the centerpiece where everything else was just four, five, six matches. Um, you know, and, and having that, knowing that AJ, and I'm just trying to think we had a couple of different people in it. You got to have the right performers. Um, you know, ultimate X much more flexibility and the X division guys, man, just, made it their own in so many different ways and they got better and better and better. But elevation X takes a certain kind of storyline, certain kind of talent. Um, and we tried to make it, um, not only safe, but also give a little bit room up top for those guys to work. You know, when you look back at the road warriors and if you really want to get granny, go back and watch my dad and Al green's, uh, 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 scaffold match in Louisville gardens. To my knowledge, that was the, the first one. So they're difficult to work, but if you have the right kind of storyline behind it, they're not going to be long. You're not going to see a bunch of flash and dash, but, um, storyline driven, but, uh, you know, sometimes you, um, hit home runs and grand, grand slams, stand up doubles. And sometimes you barely get to first. But it just depends. But uh, it was it was it was a fun spectacle. The packages for Elevation X, and we can go back and watch. Were a lot of fun to to watch. In case you're wondering, the difference between Ultimate X and Elevation X. Elevation X has a platform on top of a steel structure that is fashioned like an X over the ring. Ultimate X has guys, uh, I guess, like uh, hanging onto a wire that's forms an X in the middle and there's usually an X or a belt or some, something of the sort in the middle. So sort of like a ladder match with a new stunts or <laughs> yeah, a ladder match without a ladder or a scaffold match. That's just a giant X. Uh, Rory says, uh, what are some of your favorite sports to watch and favorite sports teams growing up or now we know it's basketball, uh, is your, is your true passion, but are you just a Homer on Tennessee or, or do you like other teams as well? Well, growing up, man, going to be dating myself, obviously the only like, and you probably can relate to this Conrad, but, uh, you know, this is prior to ESPN and watching all the highlights. We either got to watch the Dallas Cowboys 
the Washington Redskins or the Pittsburgh Steelers. I was a Cowboy fan growing up um, in, in football, but in basketball, um, I loved the Sixers and Dr. J. And then I was a bird magic rivalry. Um, I love Duke basketball. I love UNC basketball. I like UNC before Jordan went there. So, um, you know, I, all kinds of sports, all, you know, me and Kevin Nash used to joke would, we're, we're, you know, not many human beings that would get in from a, a, a late night and watch the late night West coast NBA basketball game. A good game's a good game. Uh, but you know, my fandom, uh, obviously grew up here in Tennessee. So the Vols, obviously the Titans and the Preds, uh, shout out to Bobby Roode and Eric Young, who really, uh, in a lot of ways taught me the game of hockey. Um, I like all kinds of sports. Uh, my daughter's in high school basketball right now and she was out sick and I still went to the games and Karen's like, now you're going to the ball game. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I want to go watch. Uh, I, I love, I love sports. I love competition. I think it's a microcosm for life in so many ways. Uh, you know, you can draw analogies to, I think basketball, I loved it because I played it also. I think it's really cool how, you know, a good basketball team has about eight players, five that start, have different role players. Not every can ever do everything. You know, football, you got 22 and then special teams. So I don't know. I, I could talk sports all day. A wrestling uh, historian on Instagram says, Did you prefer being WCW or NWA champion? Conrad. Let's break up this show just a little bit before I answer that. Not me, because I, you know, I, but, but did you prefer Flair as the NWA champion or the big gold champion or any, any I don't, I, I, I'm picking him because you like to edit him and splice him and, and, and he's like your puppet. So I, I don't want to get into any of this, but, but do you like the WCW gold or the NWA? Which, which champion did you like now that you're if we're talking about the actual belt design itself, I like the one over your head, the big gold belt. Now, if we're talking about which one mattered most, I mean, I think when flair was the touring NWA champion, it meant more than when he was the WCW champion, when he was the WCW champion, they were a money losing organization. When he was the NWA champion, he drew the best houses for every promotion he went to. Interesting. You know, I, I wish folks could experience now that transition because we were talking about that transition and that was something that, um, looking back at super clash, I think it's almost even hard for people. And I know they did the unification with Jericho and 2001 and the, the title, but that wasn't real. We all know that. Okay. <laughs> so Rick wasn't really a touring champion, but was he? At least it's up for discussion. That well, he was champing 81, 82, 83, 84, 85. No, no, I, no, I'm saying he was, but yeah. So, so that, um, I'm going to steal Russo's line. That NWA belt that's over my yeah. left shoulder, it was still a prop, but it was the prop. But touring, it, it was, he went from town to town to promote it, different bosses, different owners, but, but, he was still the champion and that belt wasn't changing hands, but the, and I'm saying this out of complete respect, the emotion that we had as fans were, wow, he's the real world heavyweight champion yeah. versus, oh, that's, that's that Hulk is Vince's champion. Oh, big gold belt. That's that's uh, that's uh, a billionaire Ted's champion or however we put it in our brain. I, I, I think it's, 
I, I guess what I'm saying is, um, I wish the fans of today could wrap their, their, their emotional investment into the industry. I know it's different. It's just different. I, you can't go back and play a basketball game without a three point line. I, I, but I'm just here on ask Jeff anything. Uh, I think it's just fascinating that the emotion that we had as kids on that real world champion mentality, a lot of fun. So for me, it was, it's, it's look the NWA when it, uh, you know, when we, when we worked out the agreement with NWA and there were still 12 promoters and NWA in Japan was recognized and all that, that was, that was a really cool deal. I like both of them for, for a lot of reasons, me winning the WCW world heavyweight champion. That's the first world champion that will always hold the most special place by far that, that I had zero decision in it. And obviously all the bad, the, the baggage that goes with that. I, I didn't, hold anybody up with a gun. My contract wasn't about to expire. There was no leverage. It was Jeff. We're going to make you champion that the big gold will always hold the most special place. Remember how easy it was in your twenties. You had so much energy. You could get away with late night drive throughs You could pitch a trouser tent at a moment's notice. Well, yeah, you had plenty of testosterone and now it's time to get it back. You could get testosterone injections. But that involves that awkward doctor visit, expensive medical bills, and the worst part, once you opt for artificial testosterone, you will suppress your body's ability to naturally produce it even more. But isn't that kind of the problem in the first place? Before considering the pharmaceutical option, there are ways you can naturally raise your testosterone. But one of the easiest ways is by using the Legacy Test Stack from Legacy Sports Nutrition. Test X9 has nine key ingredients clinically proven to support natural testosterone production. And T-Assist is designed to supercharge T-boosting effects with added anti-estrogen compounds. Nick Aldis, the founder of Legacy Sports Nutrition, has been blown away by the feedback that customers have sent in after using the ultimate test stack. Guys are feeling better than ever. They're feeling stronger in the gym. They have more energy. Guys in their late 30s have reported getting morning wood for the first time in years. And one even reported becoming a father after four years of trying. No matter what you do, if you're a guy, having optimum testosterone levels is the key to looking, feeling, and performing better. So try the Ultimate Test Stack today, and they're confident you'll love the results. Just go to LegacySupps.com, that's L-E-G-A-C-Y-S-U-P-P-S.com, and use our very special promo code MYWORLD for 10% off your entire order. That's LegacySupps.com. And the promo code is my world to save 10% off your entire order. I, I agree. You know, I, I think that's the right answer from my perspective. And I wasn't, I didn't live your life obviously, but you know, at that time. And again, I know everybody looks back at that period of WCW and they go, Oh, LOL, whatever. But the reality is, um, there were a ton of wrestling promotions out there. You know, ECW was still kicking around and, uh, there were a bunch of independents that were trying to you know, get some stuff going, but Japan was still doing well, blah, blah, blah. I'm saying all that to say in that era, there was a WWF champion. He was the top guy in the business. Then there was the WCW champion. He was the second big dog in the business. I mean, that's what that belt represented. You're the champion of the number two place. And, uh, you had your opportunity to do that. And obviously revitalizing the NWA and all that, that was more of your idea and you being the NWA champion is maybe more out of necessity and it's more your decision. Yeah. Whereas big gold, 
you really were the, the chosen one. <laughs> and I'll say this, here's what I think context is King in 1999, 2000, that's not that far removed. Nobody was saying WCW LOL. They just weren't, they were, oh man, that's some bad TV or that sucked or, you know, that, but, but as a, to this day, there are massive WCW fans and they walk up and they say, I've never really been able to get into WWE programming. And I look at him and I go, really? He goes, yeah, I grew up in Asheville, North Carolina, or I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. I grew up in Tallahassee. I grew up in tech, wherever. And man, my grandmother used to watch this and it's the local territory. And then I started watching TBS on six Oh five. And then man, WCW, we were kicking Vince's ass and blah, 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 man. When that was over, I just kind of quit watching. And so I'm to your point. It was number one for 83 weeks and number two for a lot of years. Kenny writes, Did you ever have another person in the ring pass gas during the match? I saw this online. Can you refer? Can you, uh, I feel like I'm uh, in uh, depositions. Can you say that question again, sir? Did you ever have another person in the ring pass gas during the match? (laughs) Cause the way I read it the first time it was as if, oh, Hey Jeff, we know you fought in the ring. Well, I kind of took it that way too. and, And I know this to be true. I mean, you've got some protein farts, the likes of which I've never smelt before. Paint Peeler Jones is what Megan calls you around here. Oh, but that is complete fabrication right there. No, it is. Now here's the joke. The reason he's laughing is, uh, we have, uh, I have a, a kind of a big office at my office where we hang it's out. Sometimes. Beautiful. It's plush. And so I've got the, the, the U shaped desk with two chairs in front of me and then a couch and then like a little conference table of four and a monitor on the wall and yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'm over in the corner at the conference table, folks get this. And Conrad actually's chair is elevated about 18 inches. So it's like a throne in his office. Kind of. Yeah. And so then I've got a whole wall full of windows, hashtag humble brag. So it gets a little warm in the afternoon. So I have a fan on my desk and just to get attention every now and again, there may or may not be an opportunity to let one rip tater chip. And then fashion that fan in a way where I can expedite it Jeff's way. And Jeff usually knows, well, that's about enough for today. I'm going to go work out. I'll see you back at the house in a little while. Uh, but anyway, you had to have a good story where somebody as a rib or very seriously, you hit the body slam and I feel like is Vince in the room. I mean, this is, is the most Vince question we're going to have. <laughs> I mean, is Vince, is this, is this uh candy camera? Do you have us? Did you, you know what? I want to check the origin of this Twitter guy. This, this guy is, is literally it's, it's uh somebody in WWE AMG has this fake account uh, and it's run by VKM. <laughs> Shame on us. Um, we Bad want to hear gas. the fart. Stop dodging. Give us the fart. I, I'm just trying to think. I mean, it, I hate to say this, but I mean, good God, has it? Guys, listen to this. They, I mean, everybody I'm, farts, of course. Oh, and and in, I mean, in the ring, uh, of course, it happens often. Yeah. I, okay. 
you know, you, you've you've heard that. I'll say beer farts. You ever heard that, Conrad? Oh yeah, cool. I'm, I'm very familiar with beer farts. <laughs> I'll just say this: the Tennessee stud Robert Fuller was known to imbibe in a natty light or two. Okay, and he, I'll just say, oh dear lord, <laughs> he he uh he he could pass one or two. Or thirty eight hundred. <laughs> Chip Maxey says, "If Lance uh, Russell Born was another uh, notorious, just all uh, all of ringside, like not just oh man, do y'all smell something in this ring? Like oh wait, what is that? Wait, what is that? Oh no, it is all three, four, five, six, seven rows. They're like oh my god." <laughs> Let's keep moving. Well, I mean, that, that gives me motivation that I could step my game up to the doink level. <laughs> uh, if Lance Russell doesn't switch networks and do news and call wrestling for your dad, do you think Memphis, Re- Memphis wrestling would still have the praise it did? That's an interesting question. Lance Russell, maybe one of the more unsung heroes, if you will. So. To my knowledge, the story was Lance program director, WHBQ, which is the ABC affiliate and, uh, WMC TV, the NBC affiliate Memphis, which was our home base for years and years and years. When my dad moved there, Lance said he would go with him. And, um, it was, it is so hard to imagine, uh, and, and I won't do this justice. It would not have been the same. But like Hulk Hogan, I mean, Hulkamania, you take Vince out of Hulkamania, it doesn't happen. Obviously, you take Hulk out of Hulkamania, it doesn't happen. There, there's certain like foundations. The, the two pillars of Memphis wrestling were my father and Lawler. So would it have been different? Yes. Lance was so good and he played off, you know, in the early years when Lawler was a heel, he got his personality over a lot of times by dog and Lance. And so Lance's cadence and his authenticity and his believability, his engagement in the product, everything that went with it. He was a huge part of Memphis wrestling, but I still believe it would have achieved the success. Yeah. But, but huge part of it, you know, and people, when, when you hear a Michael Cole or Pat McAfee or Jr. or Tony or Excalibur, their style versus the, the 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 style of a Lance Russell or Gordon Soley, it's so radically different. The business has changed, but uh, Lance was just damn good uh, at, at, at that era. The best, I think. Uh, Mark LaBelle's a smart ass, and we love him for it. Was chicken salad a staple at the Jarrett household growing up? <laughs> Oh, I would love to give this long, elaborate answer. Uh, but, um, chicken salad was not a staple. Um, you know, my, my dad, uh, what are your dad's favorite things to cook? I've seen, he's got a barbecue set up out there. So he oh, likes some of that stuff. Oh, that's right. You were there, right? Yeah. Yeah. You see out back. So he's got his griddle. He's got his smoker. And then he's got his, uh, he's got three big, uh, contraption. He loves to grill smoke. Um, Turkey, pork, beef, all, I mean, he's a, he's a big time griller, you know, and back in the day when he's into hunting venison and dove and, um, he can cook, 
he, he can cook. He, uh, like any old school Southern, uh, cooker, he, he likes his starches too, beans and, and potatoes and, and stuff like that. Um, one little, you know what, you ought to get him to tell his garden story. Cause, uh, he would plant a garden and there'd be every vegetable imaginable out there. And he would work his ass off. And this would be one of those, uh, spring and summer that, that, um, that, you know, he'd go to Memphis and Louisville and wouldn't make the other towns assistant booker would do all that, but man, he was into his garden. So he can cook. He, he, uh, so chicken salad, um, I guess that, that really, uh, that whole thing originated from Vince's kitchen table and Bruce made it famous, but uh, chicken salad was not a staple in the Jared household. Uh, Martin wants to know if slap nuts was a band with Jeff Jarrett smashing lead guitar. Hashtag asks Jeff who would double J have on drums, who on bass and who would be the lead singer. I think he means of our podcast group. I could be wrong. So if that's the case and you're playing lead guitar, I mean, I guess he didn't ask me, but I think Tony Schiavone's probably got to be the lead singer. He listens to musicals in his car. Uh, he, he fancies himself a singer. Although we've heard more singing from Bruce. I think Tony Schiavone should probably, I nominate Tony. Uh, I wish Hulk Hogan could start a podcast just so he could play bass. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So Tony, does he fancy himself a singer or he is a singer? He's as good of a singer as you are a game picker. Well, then he's excellent. Um, (laughs) you know what we, you know, like, like, uh, look, we, I referenced it last week when, uh, Vince had Hulk and everybody do those songs. We ought to come out with a, um, an ad free family. Like we are the world type collaboration. (laughs) And if Tony's the lead singer, Tony carries the the weight. Well, I'm with you on that, but who's going to play bass and who's who's going to play drums. You're on guitar. Tony's singing. Uh, bass has got to be Bischoff. Well, well, I was going to say, can you see Jr. like back and he's like on a bar stool, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, uh, cowboy hat on head down. Listen, I love Jr. doing it, but I'm just saying, realistically, there was an episode of TNA where he at least strummed along Bischoff. Oh, I mean, so like, okay, Eric, I, I think Eric's more of a, uh, electric, I'm an acoustic guitar guy. Yeah. I think Eric is lead guitar, okay. like out front can sing, can do a little bit of it all. I'm putting Eric. He's like the Eddie Van Halen of us. Who's doing like, drums. If, Conrad, if I told you this story, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm going to tell it to you. Can I tell you a little story that you love love to hear a little story? Because I, I, when I, uh, I saw this question, I knew exactly who could fill the drumming role. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is about seven or eight years ago here at the house. We always had Memorial day parties. We had uh, 4th of July parties. We had, uh, Labor Day parties, all three holidays during the summer. Uh, we had big parties here at the house. And uh, sometimes we'd have DJs. Sometimes we'd have bands. Um, but, man, it was the grill was going. The jet skis were going. The pontoon, the pool. Um, obviously, back uh, BS days, before sobriety days. It was a uh, fun time to be had by all. And some craziness would always ensue. But uh, one year, we had this band. And the parties would start 
either 12 or two, uh, Eric Young was always great. He'd get here like 1155 early and he'd always get his spot with his cooler. But, um, anyhow, on this particular party, uh, um, it got, you know, the band would usually start about eight o'clock, maybe nine o'clock. Cause in the summer it gets dark about that time. So they'd start about eight o'clock. Um, and they'd play 45 minutes, take a 15 minute break, maybe play 30 minutes and take a 15 minute break. Cause it was hot and people going and all this. Well, it was, I'll say well after midnight one year and all of a sudden, you know, and they're playing cover songs and it's just always a good time. And, uh, one, one, one break in the action. Then all of a sudden they start back playing and, and, and you can hear sort of a little, a, a, a drum solo breakout somewhat at the beginning of the song, like, okay, that's different. And then it'd keep going. And I just keep hearing little different drum beats and drum deals and all that. And then they're, they're playing the song and then they crank up the next song. And then all of a sudden at the right time in the bridge and they break on out of it, you hear this drum solo and you're like, Hmm, that's uh that's not so easy to dance to and, and all that, but we got us a drum solo going on over there. And um the drum solo finishes and I walk over there and as it's finishing, and he is really doing what folks do at the end of a drum solo, and Conrad, my jaw dropped open because I had no idea this person had this talent and none other with the sticks in his hand and doing a hell of a drum solo was the Olympic gold medalist, Kurt Angle. Oh, wow. I didn't know Kurt could play drums. <laughs> and I didn't either until that night. Holy that man cow, dude. is uh, super talented. But, uh, and I, I just was like, wow. And, and, and my buddies that are not in the wrestling industry were there that night. They're like, do you know he could play? I'm like, hell no. I didn't know he could play drums. He got up. Carried on, party kept going, and the regular drummer sat back down. So the drumming role of the uh, ad-free jam band is uh, the the drum rolls. De- the drum place uh, is definitely taken by Kurt. How about that? How about that? Feeling frustrated after getting rejected for a credit card or a personal loan? It happens way too often. That's why Credit Karma is changing the way people find and apply for cards and loans. Whether you're refinancing credit card debt or paying for an upcoming expense, Credit Karma uses your credit data to show you fresh personal loan offers that are personalized for you. On Credit Karma, you can check out multiple loan offers side by side. Members who compare loan offers on Credit Karma save on average 30% on interest rates. It's completely free and easy to sign up for a Credit Karma account with no effect on your credit score, making it simple to search for the right personal loan for you. Credit Karma will even show you your approval odds so you can choose offers that you're more likely to get approved for and apply with more confidence. And once you have a loan, Credit Karma can help you track your progress as you pay off your debt and even let you know if you can refinance and save. Credit Karma, apply with more confidence today. Ready to apply? Head over to creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers to see personalized loan offers with your approval odds right now. Go to creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers to find the right loan for you. That's creditkarma.com forward slash loan offers. Uh, Justin Vick says, you mentioned on a recent episode, getting a bunch of wrestling magazines at the house. What were your favorites and did your perspective of them change after a few years in the business? 
always, uh, again, that would sort of fill the time for me and they would come in. It seemed like a new one about every week. Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Bill Apter, he was a, you know, uh, obviously a friend of the promotion and, you know, Bill Apter and George Napoletano, which to the day, to this day, I consider near and dear friends. So their magazines would always come in, but the one that I always, especially in that 86, 87, 88, 89, 90-ish, those four or five years that I was in the office uh, very regularly. Uh, and Conrad, I, I, I don't know if you remember that the first time you ever picked up one of these, but a Japanese wrestling magazine. It was unbelievable. That, that, it was that, let, that read, which I couldn't read, but, you know, right to left. Wow. Um, it, it was, but when I got those early and you could see, you know, you got to remember late eighties business was booming Yeah, and Gordy and Hanson and road warriors. And they would show a classic shot of Hogan and Andre. Now this is not at the peak of Hulkamania, but not that far removed and Hogan from a Japan shot. Some, so, so some classic shots. And then you would see, you know, they would feature a WW WWF at the time or a WCW one or two page. But when you just saw page after page of, you know, obviously in those days, new Japan and Baba and all Japan were the, were the two dominant promotions. And you would just see picture after picture and the great action shots right up to ringside and the, the, the beads of sweat off of a chop going through the air and the, the selling of the, the facials and, and you could just feel the clothesline of a Hanson just, the, the the images that were in that color glossy gong magazine and other publications. So we used to get quite a few at the house. Obviously they were three months behind or whatever. I loved seeing those and I became to appreciate Japanese wrestling. Candidly a lot through the magazines in the early days until the tape trading. And I could see this and see that, and, you know, see Owen Hart over there or whoever it may be. Uh, but yeah, those, uh, the wrestler and gosh, Conrad, do you remember the first time you watched the super J cup? That was like one of the early tape trading, like phenomenons. I'm not saying the just so everybody knows we're not talking about the IWA king of the death match, Mick Foley tape. That's what everybody always talks about when they talk about tape trading from your era. They talk about that concession stand brawl. Everybody talks about that. And of course the empty arena match. But to me, the super J cup would have been the thing that Jeff Jarrett would have been. Look at this. Yeah. The, the tiger mask yes. and, uh, great Sasuke the, and Benoit and Liger and all those guys, 16 men that no, what was the tournament? Yeah, that's it. But, but I'm trying to think how they, the, the format of the tournaments uh, of that tournament, it was like, again, me, you know, growing up and being so sport minded. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, my, my, my formative years, not in the business, but just sort of as, as a little boy was sports and playoffs and championships and quarterfinals and semifinals and finals and all that. And then, you know, on the wrestling side of things, it's Andy Kaufman getting slapped on David Letterman. So, so just completely two different worlds, but Japan, you sort of see the highly competitive nature of it. And I can remember Memphis trips with my, with my dad and asking him, maybe not this type specific question, but Hey, how come we're not a little bit more sports oriented? And, you know, the referees don't really call it, you know, so, so I was asking questions without knowing it to my father, like, Hey dad, this is what we're doing is a bunch of entertainment. Why don't we do it more sporting and 
real. And he had no problem saying, you want to do real, go, go watch the Olympics and tell me how many people are, are at there. And if they sell out the first week, find out how many people they're going to be the second week. They're going to be the second week. And he always would give me this analogy uh, as far as music bands. This is something that really, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you, that I've, 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 uh, that hung in my brain about what we do as a form of entertainment that, you know, in the sporting world, nobody shows up for the quarterfinals or really the semifinals. It's the finals. Okay. That's the sporting world in the music world. You name any act that sells out. Let's put Michael Jackson on stage at his peak at the mid South Coliseum. And he's going to be there Monday night and he's going to walk out and he's going to do three hours of just Michael. And he's going to play every hit he's got. And it sells out. And how many is going to be there week two? And how many is going to be there week three? And how many is going to be there week four? Oh, it's still Michael. But he's already played his hits. So you better create new hits week in, week out. And that kind of stuff and those kind of formative years, uh, thinking things through, um, fascinating. But back to the Super J Cup, hell yeah, I love that stuff. And it had that sporting feel to it. It's uh it's an all-timer, man. Go out of your way to watch it if you haven't. Super J Cup 1994 is the first year. There's 14 different participants. Uh, but Wild Pegasus, uh, that's Chris Benoit. Uh, Black Tiger, uh, that's Eddie Guerrero. Takamichi Noku. Gato, who's now booking New Japan. Dean Malenko. Otani. Uh, Super Delphin. Um, Ricky Fuji. Negro Casas. Hayabusa. Jushin Thunder Liger. Great Sasuke. I mean, buddy, that's 94. That's 94, man. See that, that, that I would have guessed. Okay. So I watched 91 ish, 90, 91 ish, 92. Oh, you're talking all Japan stuff then probably, probably we got to, yeah. we got to talk to Eddie Kingston about this one day. He loves that stuff. Chad Floyd says, what are some of your memories working small towns and gyms? Uh, I lived in Arkansas when I was six, my dad worked for the school and took me to meet you. You were so nice to me and sat and talked to me. And ever since then, you were one of my all time favorites. So Chad, he's the first subscriber <laughs> to my world. <laughs> hey, chat me up though. You got any fun stories oh, about working in gyms? Yeah, you are. We've been going on playing pretty nice today, but what? Okay. it was a compliment. He, he's been yeah. a fan of you since oh, he was, no, a he, he was complimenting, but you, you wanted to take a shot at him. I, how I said he was the first subscriber. He's a fan of you. <laughs> I'm just saying every time I log in, it still tickles me that people are giving you half-assed backhanded compliments. I hated you my whole life. And then I heard this show and now you're my favorite. Keep up the great work. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a lot of fun. Um, wow. I saw this question online. Um, here is what, uh, so look, I I don't want to answer this wrong because I have all kinds of thoughts. What's what was, what's my favorite places or what did I learn? What was, do you have any fun stories about working in high school gyms? Oh God, there's all kinds of stories of of fun. Um, I used to love to, to, to the, the local football coach or whatever it is that would be special referee or in the corner. And those guys would get so excited and then get out there at ringside and completely get deer in the headlights. Looks those kind of stories, but the local communities that he's talking about, that's where in so many ways it prepared me to work uh, for WWE. Now Memphis, it was not the exact same people, but it was weekly episodic. We were telling stories. When we go to these spot shows that we're going to be there twice a year, maybe three times a year, you're walking in 
as a TV star seen off TV, but you've got to give these people, you got to play your hits and give them something simple and don't try to think, overthink it, go out and show them a good time. And it's real easy to work in front of a sellout house on uh, armory with, I don't know, 500 people or 1500 people at high school gym, whatever. When you have a down house and 200 people and some folks are, are there because half of them are there because they're raising money for the football Aquinas club or whatever it is. And they're really not interested. You got to learn how to work there because you got to engage them and they're there. And so those, those night in night out opportunities that I got, uh, I wish guys had a, had a better understanding um, I think it would help them once they got prepared to work on TV. Uh, look, fun stories. Yeah. But I, I think you can learn so much by getting out in front of a crowd and, and, and just saying, okay, we're going to entertain y'all and, and you figure out what to do. It's not all about flips and flops and moves and this and that engaging. Uh, but man, fun crowds, fun stories. Oh boy. There's so many of them. I don't know. Um, Lawler was, was, was always fascinating that he would get to a town and there would be five to seven matches. Obviously we always had an intermission before the main event when Lawler would be on and, um, you know, sell the last popcorns and Cokes and all that, but Lawler liked to get to towns and he'd play cards and he would stay in his street clothes. So we'd go through intermission. I have seen Jerry Lawler get dressed when his opponent's music hits to go out, he starts getting dressed right there. I always thought that was fascinating that Lawler would just bing, 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 dress, boom, go through the curtain, go out, tear the house down, come on back. So you can only do that in a relaxed atmosphere like that, 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 you know, no TV and no go position and Lawler would jump up from playing cards and go out and work. Those kind of stuff were always fun to observe. Uh, Lindsay, a uh, great friend of the show who's uh, made us some cupcakes at our very first live show wants to know what are some of your family's favorite holiday traditions? I assume you're going to hit Cody with a guitar on Christmas morning, right? Well, he's going to hit me with a guitar. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and the day before and the day before, oh, holiday traditions, um, Christmas pajamas. Uh, Karen's a big Christmas pajama person. I like that. And I'm just like, oh, and the other day. Wait a minute. We saw what you wore on TV that you picked that had you looking like what Eric Bischoff called the dick dancer. And now you're complaining about your wife's damn Christmas pajamas or Eric Bischoff. You know, I have gotten quite a few questions to derail this conversation up sort of about that. And I think to myself, had I worn boots and tights as double J the, the, the country music singer, wouldn't that have been such a letdown or I could have worn those old cowboy boots like you know, the black Jacks war or, you know, Ash made a version of them. Anyway, that had been a letdown. You guys want to rag on me about my outfit, but I'm I was saying. the singing. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Karen likes to get Christmas pajamas. That's one, uh, tradition that I don't say I could do without, but you can do without. Yeah. She ain't listening. It's fine. You can say that. <laughs> uh, Russell wants to know, you may have been too young. And it's probably a question for your dad, but as a young person, what do you remember about your dad and Lawler leaving Nick Gullis and starting their own promotion? So, you know, early eighties, I wasn't actively wrestling, but I was around it. And I always would hear the legendary stories. Then my dad, when I got in, I would ask him, do you know, when my dad broke off and went with Lawler, do you know the three people 
that did not jump ship with him to begin with. Probably don't. Uh, Unless he told you in the story. He might have. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Lance, no, I know this. Lance, Tojo, and somebody else. You, the, you, you, the third one, I'll leave it. So the first person didn't jump that he thought was going to be certainly the legend that he had made a lot of money with Jackie Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And his riding partner and longtime tag team partner, Tojo Yamamoto. Yeah. They, they both stayed with Nick, which is, hmm, it's an interesting observation, but the third and final piece was his own mother. Oh, that's a story. That is a that? real story that she's like, well, now that's it. And, and who knows what really went through both of his heads, but she had a job and she, she had a loyalty to her boss and she had a deal. I'm working for you, which you would call a CFO nowadays. This but- is also worth mentioning. She's older at that point. Oh, <laughs> so at this point, if you're an older person and you, you love your son and you want to support your son, but I got bills to pay and I've been around and he's always taking care of me. There's a little bit of loyalty there. I get that. Isn't that a fascinating story though? That that's the one story about uh, my dad and Lawler leaving and the writing on the wall and how Nick was dealing with his talent and with his TV relationships and with the boys and his son and all of that, that went with it. Oh, I remember now I confused the Lance deal when Lawler tried to leave. That's the story for another time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fernum Schnavitz named by Bruce Pritchard, <laughs> I assume says, uh, who are some of your main inspirations earlier in your career as a heel, when it came to drawing heat, any tricks or trademarks you picked up from other performers that made your, that you made your own and incorporated into your character to get heat from the crowd. Uh, I'm sure you asked this in a loving way. It's been said a million times. There's nothing new in wrestling. You're just, uh, stealing from some of the other greats. I assume one of the folks that you, uh, certainly watched closely was Jerry Lawler. But who else? You knew that I was going with Lawler. And the one thing that Lawler taught me that I observed, even when he was a babyface and a heel, is if you have a real interaction at ringside with the person, like the real energy, and you look as a talent, you're working, acting, however you want to say it. But the people on the front row, they may be working and acting too, trying to get into the show, but they're also going through those emotions. If you can create emotional friction, bandwidth, connection with somebody on the front row, third row, whatever, you have that real inter- interaction, the people will know it and get engaged. And it, it, and I don't say it works as it's like it's a trick. No, it's human nature and human psychology. And I think energy in a lot of ways. Lawler was incredible at that. I mean, him walking down the aisles of heel, he'd look at somebody and dress them down verbally. And, and the people would crumble and like, this guy just really made me feel like shit. And then you'd have sympathy for the people sitting next to him. It's just getting people engaged. So, um, look, huge fan of Jackie Fargo. Uh, and I, you know, w- would see little bits and pieces of, of his work. Uh, the nature boy, um, sort of his air of arrogance. I think Rick at his peak, Early eighties, I saw him, uh, you know, I've said this story, uh, 85, when he wrestled Coco Ware, I thought it was a phenomenal match, but it all sort of centered around the first, well, the entrance and then the first five to seven minutes of the match, Rick had a way that you, and he, he care, he carries it to this day. You believed that he believed 
that he was invincible and didn't mind telling you about it. And that aura of that overabundance of not just cockiness, but the confidence, somebody who's just incredibly confident can strike fear in folks. And Rick sort of, I thought, had that aura about him that really carried him, I thought, that made him stand out. The looks, the limousines, the promos, and all that. But when he stepped in and started his match, you go, okay, this guy owns the ring. Here's one, uh, and this is one that we've uh, we've never talked about, and I don't know your answer. I'm excited to hear it. Yan wants to know, why don't we see you on the independent circuit? I know that in your run in WCW and the WWE, you never missed a Monday night, but after that and after TNA, why didn't it happen? That's an interesting question. I mean, I know that you've worked some shots here and there back in the day, but here recently, we haven't seen you, uh, slinging those guitars around too much. What's up with that? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, in 2018, I did, um, some UK stuff. I did a, a few things around, but throughout my career, they've just, you know, it was territory days. WWF, WCW, back and forth, then TNA, and I was wearing my business cap the other uh, nights when I wasn't working for TNA. Then I started the Mexico run, and that was sort of my uh, work outside uh, of my day-to-day work. Um, And and so independent wrestling has radically changed, I believe, even in just the last 10 years, maybe seven years. Uh, But man, Conrad, um, I think you know of – a few of these, I'll say this without saying it. You, well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. I have gotten so many offers in the last 90 days, maybe 120 10 days. I'm trying to make up my mind. What should I do? Hit some motherfuckers with some guitars. You think? Yeah. Listen, here's what you do. Sign up for the match, get paid up front, demand first class travel and Marriott equivalent. And then be playing cards in the back. And when they start playing your opponent's music, start putting your shit on, (laughs) grab the guitar right before you walk out there, cut a 14 minute promo, do some crowd heel work. Don't take one bump. And if you do, it's the very last one. And there you go. And then big guitar and on your way. Have you not learned anything from honky talk man and Jerry Lawler? (laughs) You know what? I am getting itch. I'll just leave it at that. It just because I, I look, I was you know, I'm a promoter and baseball and video game and podcast, and we got a lot of cool stuff, but, um, I tell you what, and I'm, um, coming off the, 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 the corporate work with, with, uh, WWE corp, obviously that was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Our brother Bruce can attest to that, but, uh, this year slowly, but surely, and, you know, in the gym and all that. Oh, I see those arms. They're coming back on you. <laughs> 2022 is going to be interesting. I'm just telling you now, if, if one day we sit down to record and you look as tan as Matt Cardona, I'm going to know you're about to start slinging some guitars. <laughs> there you go. There's the, uh, there's the, the tail. Uh, there, there's the tail. That's the one thing that I, yeah, no more cafe. You'll, you'll go. Oh, okay. He's working Uh hot rod with the dad bod says Susan Tex green once told us a story about slapping you in a locker room. Any memories of that? Susan Tex green, old school women's wrestler. I met her in 2014. I think. Did you really? Yeah. Just randomly at like Ric Flair's birthday party. She was there, which was kind of cool. 
Uh, That's her working name. Susan Tex Green. Well, here's the thing. How many times do you get slapped in a locker room? I mean, I don't know. I'm just asking. No, I, I can tell you, I don't even know her. So no, it, it did not happen. Okay. doke. Well, how about that? Yeah. Uh, here's another one from, uh, Derek rivers. If Hulk Hogan had come to TNA in 03 and won the NWA title, uh, who would you have liked to seen Hulk put over when it was time to do the honors besides yourself? Oh, it's just, you know, I've got, so 2003, it, it's just sort of a different era and, and I have, uh, I'll, I'll give this a page somewhat out of mole man's book and Lawler and sort of that whole thing. If, if you're talking about Hogan doing a straight out job to somebody, I did, you know, and I learned this from the Jackie Fargo, Jackie Fargo didn't necessarily, his best use wasn't laying on his back, getting beat because the Jackie Far- Far- Fargo fans that are going to come back a year from now or six months from now, that kind of stuff. Um, they don't want to see him lay on his back. I don't think the Hogan Hulkamaniacs wanted to see Hulk. So on Hulk's way out, I would have liked to, to have, if, if that was the scenario, not for him to just get beat, but maybe for him to really give styles clash off the top rope through yeah. the table. Yeah. You know, maybe his partner, maybe him put over, in a tag match, he don't have to drop the fall, but, but put over some folks with promos and emotions and, and no, he's saying if, if he dropped the belt, so he's the NWA champ, he's going to drop the belt to somebody. Oh, oh, then AJ styles. Yeah, it, it, for sure. AJ it, it, in those years, it was build AJ. Ruben J says, and this is going to be uh, something that we can't give too much away. Uh-oh. Ruben J says, if you were to start your own wrestling company again, oh Lord, what oh, lessons Lord. and what three things did you learn from TNA wrestling and global force wrestling? So are there three takeaways from those two experiments, global force and impact that you would apply to your new company that we're definitely not starting. <laughs> you are the biggest poop disturber. Um, over communicate. I can tell you right up front. Over communicate. Over communicate. Over communicate. When I look back on my professional career, most, if not every, problem that I had was lack of communication. And sure, it goes both ways. But over communicate in business. I just don't think that's. I don't even think that's really a reality. That I don't think you can over communicate in business. Um, so over communicate is a lesson. Also. Don't be delusionally optimist and say, Hey, this guy's eventually going to start filling the blank or this guy, you know, his bad attitude's going to change. Or, you know, I think it's very appropriate to have patience with different folks at different times, but if they don't want to get in the boat and start rowing in the right direction, quit spitting in the wind and move on because 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, you, you can, heck, you can look, look at AEW to this day. And this isn't a knock on anybody, but there is no such thing as a promotion that has to have this individual that makes something go up or, or, or down. It's just not, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to steal a page out of Eric's book, but you know, 
arguably Daniel Bryan, well, he was, he was in the main event at WrestleMania. There is no magic fix. It's the brand. And so Vince always used to say, man, in the nineties, I used to like, wow, he, what's good for the WWF is good for all of us. And that's what your dad said that no Vince. Oh, okay. Vince would, would have that conversation, whether it was me and road dog in a room or me and Kevin Nash or me by myself, whatever kind of conversation that, that he wouldn't be talking at me. He would be talking conceptually at different things. And like, you know, Jeff, the, the mentality of what's good for the WWF is good for all of us. I would go, Oh, that's good for you, Vince. But no, there's a lot of truth to that. You, you have to be on brand. And I see things, I think for both companies to, to this day that are just so off brand. And I go, the idea being from what Vince was saying, just to expand on that. Yeah. Uh, if somebody says hypothetically, but I want to be champion. Yeah. But if there's a half a house, do you really want to be champ to half a house? You want to be champ to a full house. And so mm-hmm. what sells the most tickets, what's good for the promotion overall will ultimately be best for you. Because you being champion, sure, it means you're slotted higher on the pay scale, but in order to get more zeros on that check, we got to have more asses in those seats, right? That's right. Yeah. It, it to me, it is, you know, so over communicating and, and really staying on brand. And, uh, I think the third one trying to answer the questions accurately, and this is, if there isn't one definitive leader that is unquestionable, right, wrong, or indifferent. I, I, I just think, I mean, you look at Belichick, you look at Saban, you look at all the great leaders in sports. And then you look at in Hollywood, when you hear of a person's visions for a show and, and they don't wiggle or Steve jobs, you know, a lot of folks thought he was an asshole. No, he ran a company because he had a vision. You either got to, you either got to line with that vision or you got off. And I just think that, that those type that type of mentality. And, and we're in this culture now that that's very difficult. And a lot of things go against the wind and all oh, this, all hold hands and have kumbaya. That just doesn't ultimately doesn't work. Uh, up next, we've got G four is back and I can't stop smiling. Whatever that means out of all the factions and companies that Jeff has single-handedly destroyed, uh, which was the most deserving to be put out of its misery and which did Jeff have the most fun burying six feet under. I'm glad that this guy uh, takes, <laughs> takes my ball busting to heart. Uh, Brandon crab wants to know, uh, do you still have any of the chosen one jerseys that you wore on WCW TV? Oh, we need to get Cardona and Myers on this. The collectors. I have not seen one of those. There were, I no, I don't, I don't even have one myself. So anybody online that, um, may have a extra one laying around, but no, I don't. Good question though. Hey, if you got one of those jerseys, hit us up. DMS are open at my world pod. Well, screen <laughs> goes loco. Okay. We had one for you. Here's one for me. Now, Jeff, did you feel as disappointed as you looked when Conrad shut you down and rapid fire skipped over super clash three? What did it actually mean that when we went through the card? Well, yeah, but, but the deal is like, yeah, I, I didn't know how much commentary you could give me on somebody else's match. Right. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. But were you disappointed that we didn't spend more time talking about all the other matches? No, I understood. Again, I follow your lead. Oh, whatever. 
All right, fellas, follow us here, and boy, we could all use a stiff breeze. Come on, you know the deal. This episode sponsored by Blue Chew. And guys, here's the thing. Confidence can take you far in life, but it can also help you in the bedroom, especially when it comes time to uh, step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is so simple. You sign up at BlueChew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew's tablets are made in the USA, prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. So if you can benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, Blue Chew can help. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew for free when you use our promo code MYWORLD at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Guys, take it from me. Blue Chew has taken the wrestling world by storm. It's a regular part of my conversation now with all of my friends and family. People are familiar with Blue Chew, and if you're looking for more confidence, man, it doesn't get any easier than BlueChew.com. Be sure to use our promo code MYWORLD. Try it for free. Just pay the $5 shipping. And, man, I've heard for years and years the ladies say something like, there's nothing sexier than confidence. Well, Blue Chew is going to give you that confidence where it counts right now at BlueChew.com. Promo code MYWORLD. Get that first shipment free. Just pay the $5 shipping when you use the promo code MYWORLD at BlueChew.com. What do you want to eat tonight? Maybe you want a home cooked favorite, but don't feel like going to the store. Or maybe you want something exciting and new, but it would be great to stay in the night. DoorDash connects you with everything you want whenever and however you want. Get what you want to eat right now and right to your door with DoorDash. Along with the restaurants you love, you can now get groceries and other essential items delivered with DoorDash. Get drinks, snacks, and other household items in under an hour. Craving late night ice cream? Forget that one key ingredient for dinner. Or maybe you just need to stock up for the week. Well, with DoorDash, you can get everything in one app. With over 300,000 partners, you can support your neighborhood go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Popeye's, Chipotle, and Cheesecake Factory. Now, ordering is easy. And your items will be left safely outside your door when you choose contactless delivery drop-off. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. When you download the DoorDash app and enter the code MYWORLD. That's 25% off up to a $10 value and zero delivery fees on your first order. When you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter the code MYWORLD. Don't forget that code is my world for 25% off your first order with DoorDash. Subjects to change, terms apply. Uh, Charlie yeah. Thrower says, I have a massive collection of early era DVDs for Impact Wrestling. Mr. Jarrett, how important was the DVD market's TNA? And why were there so many best of compilations like AJ, Joe, Jeff Hardy, Raven, etc.? That is a, to me, it's a good question and, and, uh, different era. Is a DVD world's out, but we did so much stuff in 02, 03, 04, even, you know, counting Fox sports, people never saw it. 
There was no way. So, you know, we didn't have a streaming service. So how do you see a best of an AJ Styles? And we had multiple of those. So when you look at the best of, of these compilations, it was a big way to market our product. It is also a very profitable way to market our product. And as we found later, because of our DVD deal, you know, you order, you know, hypothetically, we'll just use these simple numbers, 10, and you sell seven, so you have three left over. Well, you have enough orders, then all of a sudden you've got a stockpile of all kinds of things. Don West went into his bag of tricks, and we sold out and we reordered DVDs on Don's brown bag special alone. So we were selling DVDs at just above cost, a little bit of a Walmart mentality. So we would sell a brown bag special in four DVDs at X amount of price and make a few bucks, but we're also marketing our product. And on top of that, when they came and bought the brown bags, they also, Hey, I'll take an AJ shirt. I'll take a Jeff shirt. I'll take this. I'll take that. But it was, uh, the DVDs early formative years. It was, um, very instrumental in a number of different ways. And it was a great licensee to have, um, up in, uh, in Minneapolis, we went up there and me and Andy Barton and team and dig our dog and pony, but we sold a lot of DVDs, a massive amount of DVDs. And also from an international perspective, um, in that era, by the way, ring of honor was pretty much primarily funded by DVD sales. I mean, their, their goal was to break even at best on the live event, and then they would make it all up on DVD. So it's not out of the question that a company that exists primarily in the pay-per-view market is also going to try to sell you a whole shit ton of DVDs. I mean, yep. you gotta have, you gotta have something did. to sell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caleb says, uh, one ask Jeff, anything, one current wrestler from WWE and AEW, who could you have a great program with in your prime? One from each brand. Yeah. Don't fucking say Elias or anybody with a guitar. Oh, please. <laughs> um, gosh, there's, a, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question. There's so many. It's random, uh, but I bet on the AEW side, you could have a good match with Sammy Guevara. Oh God. Yeah. You know, I I'd love to be, uh, a tag partner of MJF. <laughs> Not against each other. Uh, We would never get along, but when our backs against the wall, uh, we'd screw the rest of the world. Then I try to go screw him, but whatever. Um, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson. Um, In my my opinion, he's, he's the best in the world. He's what a storyteller he is on a completely different level. He, he is, he is on a completely different level. I believe uh, than just about anybody who, would you, I, I, who would you like to heal on? Uh, so outside of Daniel, um, he alone. Well, cause I mean, nobody wants to see you as a baby face, right? We want to see you as a heel. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, um, can you imagine if me and Charlotte had an intergender match, like instead of China, Charlotte, <laughs> I, I would love for her to whip your ass. That would be great. Yeah, I know you would. That's why I threw that out there. Okay. Who would I like to heal on? So baby face wise, uh, we said, uh, Brian, um, WWE, who would it be? I think me and Kevin Owens could have had a, a, a hell of a program. I can I think see when that Kevin, I, when Kevin gets his mind, right. As, as a baby face, 
Good talker. Um, mm. Trying to think of the uh, of a newer uh, that I haven't worked with because I was just going down the list. I mean, I, I Roman, is, Roman yeah. as a babyface, I think I think he's an awesome babyface. I know he's going down head of the table route with Heyman, and that's great. Um, I don't know. I'd love to see you wrestle Nick Gage. Would you? Look, yeah, just light tubes, barbed wire, staples. <laughs> King of the death match. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're the king of the mountain versus the king of the death match. That's what we need no. right there. Wrestling royalty at Pe- its finest pizza cutter. Oh, that's cool. You to call him wrestling royalty. I like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, here's one in TNA's early years. A lot of wrestlers there had brief runs. Carino, Vampiro, Shamrock. Was there anyone you would have liked to have had with the company for a longer period of time? I'm sure there's a bunch, but is there one where you're like, man, if we had a little more time with him. So who left would be the, the, the top line stuff. Uh, I mean, we've, we've, we've definitely discussed the Monty Brown situation and he left and man, there were some folks online that look, he gave it a shot at WWE and, and obviously and a guy like Chris Harris, they didn't know what they were getting into up there. Uh, but we had a mentality in the early formative years that, uh, as Dutch Mantel would call it, would rent a wrestler. We didn't have the ability to put them in long-term contracts, um, and, and didn't want to, because you just didn't know how it was going to pan out. I mean, Carino's right there. He had his Japan run. Um, but from a financial perspective, that's an interesting one. The Carino one, because I was such a fan of his yeah, and it felt like he, it would have been the perfect opportunity for TNA, but then. It just didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because he had he, so much Japan money. He had Japan deal from a financial perspective. Um, you know, we had so many limited fly-ins, uh, in those early, you know, um, uh, so f- f- it wasn't going to work either side financially, if I remember correctly, but I think the m- most important thing that prohibitive was his other commitments. Uh, Steve was hustling his butt off back then, you know, I mean, Everywhere, not just Japan. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other names. I'm sure people online are going to say, Hey, what about this guy? Um, Shamrock was a financial situation. Um, Let's do another one here. Michael wants to know what's your favorite Dave Brown story. Hmm. Favorite Dave, Dave was so good on so many different things and the perfect partner. And then he played the lead horse and he did that so well. Um, favorite Dave, you know, we did Dave Brown at TNA at, uh, at the ballpark in Memphis. Uh, we did a Dave Brown appreciation night and, um, it's funny. We pulled in the arena at the same time or at the ballpark, at the same time and walked in together and we had a rainstorm that night, a bunch of different moving parts. And Dave was the weatherman. And he's like, no, Jeff, we're going to have a storm coming in. It's going to be delayed and all that. But you know, and I don't know if this is a, a one-on-one story with, with Dave, but I can't tell you how many folks came up to me because we did an extended autograph session to wait for the rain delay that came up and were so super appreciative. They grew up on Dave that, I mean, that's Dave was 
five nights a week, uh, five and 10 news, six and 10 news calling the weather. And then you saw him on Saturday morning. So it's just hard to, it's like, I don't know, Al Roker, uh, on the today show. Then on the Saturday morning, he's on WWF superstars. It's just a whole different perception. And Dave was, is so beloved in that Memphis market and to hear the people come up and just, just gushingly talk about how much they love Dave and this and that I, I, I were, I will always remember that night that, um, that was an idea that came out of a marketing meeting in, in Nashville at TNA. There was only a few of us that really liked it, but we went ahead with it because they just didn't understand it. Not that they had anything against Dave. They're just like, that won't mean anything. We're TNA. And I'm like, nope, you don't understand wrestling in Memphis and Dave Brown are synonymous. So that's probably one of my favorite Dave Brown stories. Francis wants to know, when did you know that UK was going to be a great market for TNA with the television deals, the touring, the fan parties, the signings, it seems like TNA had a lot of success in the UK. I, I, the, the, the moment that I absolutely said, okay, this is a different playing field. I wrestled at one uh, PW Doncaster and I went to the ring. Um, I was obviously the heel and I was wrestling AJ styles. Conrad, I can remember it. I can remember sitting back in the corner in the ring and watching AJ Styles music hit and him walk to the ring and he did all four sides, but literally everybody in the arena was singing his song word for word. You are, you are, I am, I am. And I just went, okay, we have. We, I mean, it, it was, I'll never forget it. I, it was, it was a really good, as a promoter, I'm like, they don't just kind of know what's going on. They know AJ styles music word for word, everybody in the arena. It was cool. Uh, so help me understand since we're singing TNA theme songs here. Can you give us a few words from EC3's theme song? Trouble, 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 trouble. <laughs> Oh, why did you pick control your narrative? I love that. So he didn't make the song. I think that's a surge song, but I just love the whole song. Trouble, 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 trouble. Me and Bruce had a lot of your narrative. EC three, uh, saw him, uh, blizzard brawl. And, uh, I want him to know this because I got home and literally had the shirt on my chair and Cody saw it, took it. He has worn it. Uh, no less. How long have I been home? 25 days. He's worn it 15 of those 25 days. He loves that. So, um, Cody's a huge control your narrative fan, the videos, the shirts, everything. Uh, cowboy arrogance says, I loved your feud with the moon dogs prior to spots passing. Did you ever bring them into TNA? Also tell me about the first time you met Larry Booker. Ooh, folks. If you don't know who Larry Latham is, um, Googling. Cause Larry Latham was a part of the blonde bombers. Uh, and, um, his partner was a guy by the name of Wayne Ferris, later to be known as the honky tonk man. The first time I met them was Conrad. I had to have been like nine years old, 10 years old in Nashville at the fairgrounds. And my dad had stepped back in the ring and was working, uh, a, a brief period. And Danny Davis nightmare, Danny Davis was their manager and, 
dad did a deal and I'm on the back row of ringside and they whipped him with a riding crop till he started bleeding in his back. And it disturbed me as a child. There's my old man getting the hell beat out of him and Larry and Wayne great heels that they were scared the shit out of me as a kid, again, pre K fave and all that kind of stuff. And so I was, uh, as a little boy, a little emotionally disturbed and they had, uh, Larry come say hello to me. And he, uh, you know, I'm a kid and he's this huge monster that I thought. And so that's the first time I met Larry. And then the moon dog run. And that was hardcore before hardcore was hardcore. There was no name for it. It was two befores and boards and planks and one by sixes and trash cans and all that. And, um, man, what a, uh, what a run we had. It was uh, Meltzer's feud of the year. I think 91, me and Lawler against the Moondogs. When you were doing all that crazy hardcore way back when, I mean, I guess it still happens these days, but way back then, a lot of guys, Dusty and the likes, they would not only use the old um, gimmick on their forehead, sometimes they would do it on their arms and other places. Did you ever have to make a uh, little incision somewhere beside your head? No, sir. Not a fan of it. Yeah. Uh, I witnessed it. Um, God rest his soul. Billy Travis. I saw him do it to his tricep. The nastiest non bloodiest gashes that I went, you're an idiot. Yeah. It's okay to do it once. Give it a shot. But when you do three or four or five times and nothing, dude, just stop. Ugh. No. Uh, but Larry, um, I don't, th- I'm not sure exactly when he passed away, but, um, Larry was well past his, he was what he was definitely, if not in his twilight, but uh, you know, no, he, I don't believe he ever worked in TNA. Michael says you've mentioned, uh, Andy Griffith a few times. So I'm wondering if you had a favorite episode. I've always been partial to the pickle story. Oh man. I could go, um, gosh, a mighty Andy Griffith episodes. You know, when you break down. That storytelling, it's so simple, but man, it's uh, very applicable in life. I think to this day, some good moral lessons over there. Um, anything with Barney and Otis, um, Barney reciting, uh, the preamble, we, the people that scene is classic. Um, yeah. Barney reciting. We, the people is right up there at the top. I don't even know if you know what I'm talking about, but Andy Griffith fans do. Uh, Ben wants to know who was your favorite travel partner during the initial double J run in the WWF from 93 to 96. Kevin Nash was always a lot of fun. Very entertaining. Very, very good storyteller and, and you know, road dog. That's when we, have you, you met, know, have you met a human who could consume more beer than Kevin Nash? Ooh. I've seen Kevin Nash drink two bottles of red wine and then a case of beer and then seemingly get around pretty good. He's right up there at the tip top. Yeah. Yeah. He's right up there. I, I never, uh, I, well, I say I hadn't thought of that in a while. Yeah. We went toe for toe many a night. Um, I I'd say he's, uh, he's in the hall of fame. Oh, for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it. And by the way, flares drinking's overrated. I mean, people act like he's some legendary drinker. That's not the case. He's all show, right? Yeah, it is. Like 
Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he doesn't drink. Everybody listening to this knows that's not true, but I'm just saying this narrative that it's like Andre and then Rick is like, oh no, uh-uh. no, no, no. Kevin Nash and a bunch of others in between. Yes, sir. Uh, Dougie says, uh, Jeff, you've appeared a couple times of on ICW shows. Would you consider returning for an event? And if so, who would you like to wrestle? You keeping up with ICW? Uh, you know what? Mark Dallas is a guy that, uh, they were a red hot promotion. They did the deal with WWE and it's, it's, you know, it's uh, to say, and I don't, I say this with all diplomacy, it's a little bit off brand. Either way, uh, you know, ICW, I would not say is a completely PG rated product. Uh, Scotland's not a PG rated country. I mean, it's just a little bit different and WWE and the network, it's just different. Mark, I don't think gets enough credit for his mind, really smart promoter, smart matchmaker. I'll say with a vision, uh, great team, him and Duncan through the years have, uh, made nothing but money. And, you know, yes, uh, I, I love that promotion. It's just hard for me to put Grado is the perfect or, or one. Of, he's just got a boatload of charisma and can tell a story so many different ways and engage the crowd emotionally. I love uh, beating the shit out of Grado and hitting him with the guitar. I'll say that. Who doesn't love Grado? Hey, Robert has a great question. It's going to fire you up. Does it bother Jeff that TNA had objectively more ratings, more people watching more television success than AEW does now, but it's still thought of as LOL TNA. Hmm. You don't have to think either. It bothers you or it doesn't. Here's what I want to, uh, I always going to be careful because it sounds such like, Look, I could not, I despised veterans that would say back in my day, no, well, yeah, yeah. that's so, so I say it with a ton of respect, but the narrative that was created, and I'll say from about 2013, maybe 2012, maybe before that, I, I, I'll say that, but 2002 to 2009, it wasn't TNA LOL. It just wasn't. But it started, I think, 12-ish, 13-ish, and then obviously 14, 15, 16. It, it had quite a bit of it. Um, it's How much not, of that started when AJ left? I think, a, 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 I mean, he's the poster boy. When, when it got off brand and Hogan replaced AJ and the four-sided replaced the six-sided and the Nasty Boys and Orlando Jordan and Val Venus and a whole bunch of – non-WWE, I'm not pointing fingers at any of them. They're just non-WWE talent. When that massive flood of non-WWE talent and they went off brand and Dixie stepped out front and became the face of the company, it it, it just, they did a brand re-imaging and then throw in the, oh no, we can't say TNA, we're going to go impact. Well, w- wait a minute. It's been TNA that got us a two-hour spike deal. And, and don't say they didn't have sponsors. That's total BS. And the impact was the name of the show. So through all that, yes, it became TNA LOL. But the but the ratings that we achieved, and here's where the real devil in the details. Spike was, I think, maybe 20 or 18. They weren't a top 10 network. They were quite a bit down the dial. The 
you know, all the news networks and the sports networks and then the Energent USA and TNT and TBS. So we weren't, I love Spike. We were on, but they weren't a top 10 network far from it. And so to reach 2 million viewers on that network and compare it to today's world, you have to, if you don't look at it objectively and go, now, wait a minute. So maybe TNA wasn't no LOL. It's, it's, it's like the controlling of the narrative and the climate and everything that that went with it and where we started and where we got, that's one set. And then you kind of look at the AEW buy rates and, and look, we've had some conversation with this because it's a different era, but let's just hypothetically say we averaged 40,000 buys a month and you did that three months in a row. So at the end of three months, we did 120,000 buys. That's a hell of a buy rate. If it was one show, we were in a fixed location. When you look at the glitz and the glamour and the promotion and the dollar spent on every AEW production, Black ink versus red ink. It's a completely different ball game and a completely different story. Maybe, I'd love to have your thoughts on that. Conrad. Maybe I asked incorrectly. Does it you bother said, you? Yes or no? No, it does not. I think it should. Well, here's why it doesn't. It's different. It's completely different. And this is what the business is about. Let's talk about it. Let me, let's talk let me, let me ask business. you this though, for, for real, okay. just pretend we haven't talked about anything else. Okay. Is the comparison between TNA and AEW, if you had to sum it up and drill down on just one thing, what's the major difference to me? The one word is timing. I think you could take a look at where the WWE was when you opened TNA and you said to yourself, when you started the company and we haven't talked about this, but man, there was WWF and WCW and now they're in ECW. And now there's just WWF. Let's be the alternative, but perhaps you did it too soon. Just one year later, as opposed to 15 years later, I think if you would have, and again, I'm just freestyling, but if you would have started TNA in 2016 and not Oh two or 2017 and not Oh two exactly 15 years later. I think the wrestling world is, was ready for a true alternative at the time. We had had so much less than WCW, so much less than ECW. We didn't really have a lot of faith and confidence, even in the WWE product at the time. And it had to get stale and then warm up again. And I just think, you know, we weren't there yet. And if there is a, a change you could make to the TNA story timing. And anybody who's had a great deal of success, I don't mean just a little bit of success, but you've been wildly successful. Timing is everything. You know, if you, I mean, I don't think that can be overstated. It's just either you're in the right place, right time, or you're not, and and you're going to be massively successful or you're not. And I think what kept TNA from breaking through and getting, and everybody getting behind it is probably just timing. We as fans weren't ready for it yet. I Timing's everything. You just think about Stone Cold's timing, Rocket Stardom, The Rock, Hulk Hogan. I mean, any mega, mega star, timing is a big component of it. Hitting a number one hit at the right time, at the right place, and country music stars and pop stars. Yes, timing across the board is anything. But do you know what I thought you were going to say? What? You said when it drills down to one word. What is it? Money. 
the difference being you were trying to make a living off of your promotion. And well, I know I'm, I'm just saying the amount of money. Oh, the, the, the capital invested for TNA versus the capital invested for AW or are, are night and day. There's no difference. I mean, there's I many, mean, many, many, many zeros. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that it puts a whole different playing but, field, but, but the difference is probably at the end of the day, you were for lack of a better word Too early. No, well, no, no. I'm, oh. I'm not the business side. You were, and, and some people hear me say this word and they think I mean it negatively, but I am one of them. You were a small business. And so oh. as a small business, you, you, you are reliant upon, Hey man, this thing has to make money now in order yes. for me to pay bills back at the ranch, as they say, yeah, without I, I, I need this business to be profitable now because I need an income as a human being. I mean, we all need an income. And I think sometimes wrestling fans take a look at something and they say, well, I don't like this. I like that better. Well, <laughs> I'm with you. You said okay. like, it's, it's not yeah. the same thing versus and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shitting on AEW at all. I love AEW. I'm a huge fan. Everybody listening to this knows that I get accused of being a homer every week for AEW, and I'm fine with that. Call me that, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> but I'm saying all that to say AEW is more of a long play, you know. So you see a company like Facebook who's way in the red originally, but they have this huge valuation. Same thing with most of the, you know, Twitters and all the. Uh, So they would call themselves pre-revenue. What does that mean? Well, it means we're worth $4 billion. So what'd you profit last year? Well, we lost 80 million. Well, how did you lose 80 million? So as a small business owner, that doesn't work. But if you're playing the long play and you think, no, no, we're going to keep throwing money at this thing because we know we're building something that has a huge value that we could ultimately one day sell. And again, I'm not saying AEW is going to sell, but I'm saying there is the small business mentality of. Hey buddy, at the end of the month, I got to take some money home to pay my mortgage payment. That's Th- right. Th- that's a different animal. Completely. It, and I'm glad that's wow. You never know where we're going to this episode. It, it, now you always go, ah, I didn't think we, but that's it. The, 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 the short play, long play, small business for however you want to cache it. But again, I'm going doubling back on yours. The timing of the. We're in entertainment. We're about branding. We put out a brand that took a bit to get traction as a small business, but once it got that traction, it got going, but then it got derailed. So, so it's, that's fascinating conversation. My friend, uh, Mr. Wagner wants to know, was there ever any talk of bringing in Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin after they left WWE trying to put together team angle with Kurt? <sighs> God, that's a good question. You know, I, uh, that's probably a better question for either Kurt or, or maybe, um, when did they leave? Oh, eight, oh, nine, two, th- I, I don't know I when don't, they left. I, don't recall. I, I guess you'd have to say whoever was running creative. Was it, was it across their table? There were so many instances that for, it was a, well, back to our previous discussion, a financial decision. A lot of times very hard to make talent happy when they come from WWE payroll. It's just, they have to sort of get readjusted. You, I see it all day, every day over the last 12 months. Let's explain that too. You know, when you're fresh off of WWE TV and, and you've been getting this steady weekly paycheck, that includes all your piece of all kinds of licensing and international and distribution, tons of different line items versus you're just going to go wrestle this one show in this one town for this one guy. 
Uh, sometimes you got to right size that thinking. So a lot of times guys fresh off TV, I'm just making up numbers. They might think, well, I'm going to get five grand a shot. That's what I made for WWE. So that's what I'll make here. And they might get it, but then maybe 90 days later or a year later, at some point they start to have less opportunity. So they have to right size that payroll a little bit. And now it's 3,500 and they ride that for a year. And then they have to right size again. And now it's 25, the further away from the big push. The more affordable you become because, well, it's a function of, I got to work every week and I got to work as many dates as I can. And that's hard when you're fresh off TV to immediately sort of, um, low ball yourself, if that makes sense. And here's what I am. This is like a, not just a hobby. It's a passionate, it is, it's, it's like a desire I have Conrad. Um, I, I'm fascinated to watch different talent across the board that as their, we'll call it their WWE market value continues to diminish. How are they going to guess what? 20 years ago, you didn't have Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to market yourself and promote it. And these promoters out there going, Oh, wait a minute. This guy will promote his ass off. I've done that. When you see folks selling all kinds of different, whether it's a wrestling show or merch or action figures or this or that. And you see guys becoming the, when you hear self-promoter, I'm not talking about promoting themselves. I'm talking about being a marketing machine. It is fascinating to watch that because that's where the, these talent become real businessmen. And I'd love nothing better to do business with other like-minded businessmen that say, Hey, I'm just not going to show up and expect a check. Nope. Guess what? I'm going to overproduce for you promoter. So you'll pay me more and have me back. That's the real world. It's why we're in a group chat with Matt Cardona. Nobody's done it better. (laughs) Am I right? Bingo. I mean, seriously, I know a lot of people are like, oh, LOL. No, no. Take a look at what he did this past year. As we're here at the end of 2021, most guys just assumed, I shouldn't say most, a lot of wrestling fans assumed well, I wonder what Zack Ryder is going to do. Take over the fucking Indies. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to, I mean, he, he, his value now is more than when he was in WWE to me, because now he's got his own little podcast. He's got his own YouTube. He's got his own action figure line. And by the way, he is controlling independent storylines. And you know, with his massive social media following that he's built up, he's leveraged it as much as he can. He's reinvented himself. He's done a fantastic job. Can I tell you a little story that yeah. I was fascinated that goes back many years ago that there was a little lady that dialed into as an artist. Now, this is a music story, but it's very applicable. And just to have the fourth thought of a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old girl that got, in, got into MySpace and started interacting on MySpace with her fans and then MySpace and then jumped over to Facebook and social media. And all of a sudden she's 18 years old and she's got a room full of William Morris agents listening to her. And I was at a nightclub in Nashville at about eight 30 and a buddy of mine who had just left a meeting that she was in said, come here. Do you know this girl? And I said, yeah, better anyway. Yeah. He goes, I've never seen anything like it in my life. She's so far down the line on how to promote her music that she's leaving everybody in the industry and they don't even know they're in the game and she's mastering it. Taylor Swift. Yeah. And it is she, and God, we're going back 15, 16, 
15, 16, 17 years ago. It, 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 it's, it, it is there, you know, excuses be gone. That book, you don't there as an independent wrestler or a businessman, the excuses are irrelevant. Get off your ass and go promote and get engaged. It's a, it's a lesson that yeah. Hats off to, to old slappy Cardona. Ian Randall wants to know, maybe mistaken, but I think I remember hearing that you had never had any surgeries. What's the worst injury you had in your career? Low back L four and L five. That's what, uh, got me in to see Dr. Tim Adair. And, uh, one day we'll have him on ad free for a good chat. He's a great storyteller. Uh, but no, that was the most excruciating pain, debilitating man. I, uh, that's you ever had low back pain, Conrad? No, nope. if we've ever, mm. yeah, it, it tears come to you. Uh, road dog used to look at me like, are you okay? And a tear would be, I'm like, just let me, let me stand here. It's low back pain is debilitating. Uh, Jim says any fun Christmas stories about teeny. Oh boy. We used to go over there on Christmas Eve. And, um, so you got to remember 80, 81, 82, 83, very profitable years for Christine Jarrett. And, um, she didn't mind, uh, gosh, she, God rest her soul. But, you know, we would get all kinds of different presents and me and my brother would load up his car and then she would help us walk to the car. And then all of a sudden she would always, Hey, I'm just going to give this to you. And she had slide whether it was a hundred dollar bill or $200 or something, but look, I'm 10, 12 years old. Cash is cash. I thought it was great. Whether it was 50 bucks or 500 bucks, but, uh, she was great. And you know, we always ate over there uh, on Christmas Eve night. So lots of, lots of presents. And uh, she was a big present giver big time. Uh, here's one from, uh, Rob Lang, who used to make your tights during the Memphis days? You had some wild ass designs. Miss Collins. <laughs> uh, she lived uh in East Nashville and um her husband played on the Opry. So she that's how, sort of how she got it her start with making band outfits and jackets and you know that kind of stuff. Um yeah. It was a lady by the name of Miss Collins, and her husband Charlie played on the Opry. Uh, Randy Harris wants to know, did you ever wrestle at Chattanooga's Memorial auditorium? Just a few times. That was a legendary building, but you know, in the territory split Birmingham, Nashville and Chattanooga went with Nick and my father had Memphis, Louisville and Evansville until the, you know, as things evolved along. So, um, Chattanooga, uh, just a couple of times. Uh, so it wasn't a regular stop, but I did, uh, you know, and UTC, the roundhouse multiple times TVs for WCW and even maybe a WWE live event or two through the years. Uh, this one's from John Roby. Did you ever have an accidental juicing? Meaning there was more red than you were hoping for. Oh gosh. Danny Fargo years ago, kicked me in the nose. Uh, when I've been over a backdrop, I think he meant to be a little snug. Uh, I've never had a bloody nose like that. I mean, geez, it was brutal. I think um, he means when you did it yourself. Oh, do you ever go too deep? Take it too far accidentally. Yet I'm a pro. What's the magic for doing just enough and not too much? Got to know what you're doing. Is there a rule of thumb or is it just feel? Feel. I see. Yeah. I know what you're doing. Um, 
Mr. Wagner has a question for me. He says, Conrad, how worried are you that come October, Jeff will try to hold you up for more money and then jump <laughs> to a competing wrestling podcast. It is a real concern. I mean, we've had some private talks about it. Uh, oh. Mr. Gonzalez wants to know what was your favorite moment in the WWF slash WWE? Do you have one single moment that stands out above all else? Well, of course, getting that check from Vince McMahon. What are you talking about? No. Um, in Tampa, when I won the IC title, I, I knew it's a different era, but I knew becoming champion. Okay. My pay scale is different. It's not like I'm going to be on some shows and be working with razor, uh, but may slide back down the card sort of became champion. It was status. So it meant a lot emotionally, but I knew financially it, it was, it was a really, uh, that made cause it was the first big moment I had there too. Jeff, we got so many questions. There's no way we could get to them all, but you and I've been yakking for two hours. So this feels like just as no good way. a time to uh, wrap it up as any, but before I go, we do have one more from Fernando Diaz and he wants to know who would win in a cook-off between Eric Bischoff, Conrad and double J. Now, of course, I think he knows you're going to put yourself over. Cause that's what you do. That's why we created TNA back in the day. And why we created this show now, just to put you over. But, For sure. But who's second place? Do, do you have more confidence in my ability on the smoker or the grill or what have you, or Eric Bischoff's? This Conrad, it's like talking politics. You never really want to discuss it. Don't want to discuss religion. Don't want his stuff, you know, wrestling back in the day. You just didn't argue or debate it. So you're forcing me to have this conversation. I am. You've got to at least pick a winner between Jeff and or, uh, Eric and I. So when you really drill it down, I have often gone by this one edict. Okay. Okay. Listen. My eyes have never, ever lied to me. They just haven't. So when I step back and observe the situation, I, I love Rectech. I eaten some wonderful food off Rectech. I love Bing Green Egg. I love Weber. Hell, I like a good old gas grill. Hell, I'll even cook charcoal from time to time, right? I yeah. mean, there's been good food, good hamburgers off charcoal. But when I just sort of scan and look at the lay of the land and I see Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson. I'm winning. Hold on. You don't, don't jump froggy. Sit there. When I see Detroit boy, inner city versus not just Alabama born and bred in Southern Alabama. When I see a 34 waist. And, and one a lot bigger than that. Oh, and then what I was going to say a little bit bigger. I just have to say, don't bet against your gut and don't bet against your eyes. So just by observing things, it's not a North versus South thing. I'm just saying inner city Detroit kid that, that transplanted to Minneapolis and then Atlanta and, and now out to Cody, Wyoming, and hopefully Nashville, Tennessee, and maybe a little Tampa in there. And you got a son of a gun 
who have never left the confines tights, confines of the great state of Alabama. Conrad, I, as much as I begrudgingly hate to put you over, I just got to think you are a slam dunk winner in the contest between you and Bishop. And in fairness, you've had a couple of medium rare steaks over here that I made and I didn't hear any complaining. They got gobbled yes, up. Yes, sir. But hell, I can eat anything. Conrad. Oh, we've seen that. I mean, I wasn't putting it over too much. I've seen you knock a hole in some stuff. I wouldn't have looked at twice. Uh, but listen, we got, we greatly appreciate you guys this year. This has been, you know, Jeff's first year podcasting. We're not even a full year into the thing yet, but uh, I don't know what you expected when you first got going, but how's your, your podcast existence going so far? You know, is it meeting your expectations, exceeding you liking it, loving it, kind of regretting completely, it completely, completely over, uh, over, uh, expectations. I didn't have a lot. I didn't know it going in. I enjoy it every week sitting down. Uh, I think we've had these conversations off air. I think sometimes I get a little bit too, uh, game faced, a little bit too serious and need to ha- relax a little bit, but I'm learning through this. I love the research. I love, uh, just had a conversation three days ago and I said, you'd be surprised he goes, dude, how do you remember with everything you've been through? And I said, go ahead and say it. He goes, yeah, you, you've had a lot of foggy nights. I said a few, he said, how do you remember all this stuff? And I said, the research will jar my memory. Um, but the platform, the promotional stuff, we've got the live event coming up in St. Louis. We've got a good mania weekend that we're working some things. We've got some AEW events. We've got some summer slams. We got a full 2022, the advertisers that come on board. Uh, I'm, I'm actually wearing stance underwear right now, Conrad. Um, I, I I'm telling you, it, it has been a boatload of fun. Uh, I hope the show gets better and better and better. Uh, but I never dreamed on Russell, the day after WrestleMania, when we announced, I never dreamed on that day where we'd be at today. I mean, everything included it's uh it's one of the highlights of my week that's for damn sure and it's ours too you know i consider myself the first listener we're glad you're doing this i've been after you for doing a podcast for nearly five years now and i'm fine i'm happy to say i finally put that feather in the cap and 2021 was fun but guys uh and i'm saying this not jokingly not winking we have some really fun big stuff planned for 2022 and we think you're gonna love it and uh i'm tickled to have uh jeff on the squad here and uh uh, and get to tell some stories and bounce around because Jeff, you've got a story like nobody else today was a, a little bit of a sampling of that. We got to have a little ADD and bounce all over the place and cover a bunch of little topics next week. We'll be more back on track, but I'm really looking forward to finishing up our whole USWA conversation. We'll get to that and a whole lot more, but the next time we see you unbelievably, it'll be next year. Uh, so I hope you guys have a very happy and safe new year's Eve. Jeff, I'm throwing a big new year's Eve party at the house. You don't even have the damn decency to RSVP. Are you coming or not? Can I just let Megan know? I'll let you know via online. Oh gosh. Listen to this. He wouldn't even tell me. You got to get Karen wound up. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be back next week. I hope you guys had a great Christmas. Have a very safe and happy new year. And we'll see you in 2022 right here on my world. You're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home. Okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. 
You kill someone. Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever drive sober or get pulled over. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.